Chapter Thirteen of The Fortune Hunter, a novel of New York Society by Anna Koromawit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. A kind and tender heart for others wants to feel, a soul secure from fortune's dart and bosom armed with steel to bear divine chastisement's rod and mingling in my plan submission to the will of god with charity to man j q adams a month passed on esther clinton considered herself to use her own language betrothed to augustus brainard yet she did not choose that her engagement should be made known even to her own family or that her father's consent should be asked. She could find no pleasure except in stolen interviews, and often doubted that theirs could be true love, because its course ran so smooth. She longed for more excitement, and not infrequently determined to dismiss her lover, because she was weary of loving and being loved again, exactly like the rest of the world, she began to suspect that Brainerd was not the being destined by uncontrollable fate to woo and win her, in spite of the most insurmountable difficulties, and to sacrifice wealth and fame and honor and happiness for the sake of sighing at her feet. Her only mode of varying the monotony of her existence was to quarrel with Aria, she insisted that she had been grossly injured in what manner she did not choose to explain by miss walton and refused to hold any intercourse with her when they met she greeted aria coldly bestowing upon her the most reproachful glance and turned away with a good deal of scornful looking beautiful on her lips in vain aria besought her to explain how she had offended her in vain she reiterated that the coolness of her former friend was a source of grief and in vain her pale countenance and sunken eyes had pleaded for her and told that her heart was sufficiently full of sorrow without the addition of a pang from the hand that once caressed esther maintained a perverse and tragically dignified silence and repelled the warmest advances of the gentle sufferer mr chadwick esther seldom saw for he found that he could not visit the clintons without raising hopes in his parents which he never intended to gratify with rachel he still kept up an intimacy both because there was something pleasingly soothing in her society and conversation, and because he could talk of Aria to her and listen to accounts of their unfortunate friend. In the last month his character had undergone a remarkable change. He ever retained the hope that in some future period Aria would relent, for he could not relinquish it without relinquishing all ambition and all energy. Yet he grew thoughtful and even serious, it had been Arya's request, her earnest, her last and only request, that he would study the subject of religion, and for her sake he devoted many an hour to the examination of the most celebrated theological writings, and especially to the works of the most spiritual authors. 
at first he turned their pages from mere curiosity and because it had been aria's desire but soon he found himself deeply interested he took a new view of the subject of religion and wondered at his own blindness and ignorance in never before beholding the great truths of nature in this clear light and though he yielded not at once his preconceived ideas the foundation of scepticism was shaken and the fabric tottered everything that was liberal that was philosophical that was high-minded and free from the taint of bigotry and prejudice accorded with his elevated character in some authors he met with much that he could not comprehend and much more that he could not credit yet he learnt enough to fully repay him for his researches if aria were only by my side to tell me whether her views accorded with those conveyed in this passage he would sigh sometimes i almost think she would make me a christian but aria since their last interview he had seen but rarely only once at the residence of miss clinton where he could converse with her and then although the expression of her face was resigned even cheerful although there was nothing in her mien which betokened sadness and repining although she greeted him with kindness the hand which she permitted him to momentarily clasp did not tremble though her voice was clear and firm and though she conversed with graceful ease ever natural to her yet edgar was so much affected by her presence that he soon was forced to retire where was the restless buoyancy that used to make that countenance continually sparkle all over where were the rosy gifts of health that once bloomed on her delicate cheek what spell had hushed the ringing joyous laugh that ever echoed by those who heard it the playful sallies that inspired all others by her own mirth what had become of them but besides this aria's health was visibly declining the roundness of her form had departed her chest looked sunken her shoulders contracted and a low hollow cough often broke like a knell on the ears of those who loved her her spirit's sudden strife had left its ravages on her person true the spirit was victorious over itself but the frame was conquered also she had seen her uncle several times since their last distressing meeting and he was the same cold reserved and gloomy being that he had ever been perhaps not colder than before but certainly not more tender aria seldom left the house but every sunday as she walked to church she was sure of meeting edgar mrs lemming was by aria's side and therefore he did not join them yet they entered the same church door and edgar always took his seat in a pew in front of theirs but to the prayers that were offered up he seldom responded when others prayed he was ever watching what more than earthly beauty devotion lent to the heavenly features of aria when they sang he was listening to catch her seraphic tones as they ascended to heaven and during the sermon he heard not beheld not the preacher he only saw the varying of aria's countenance and thus judged the beauty or imperfections of his doctrine during the last month rachel clinton's affection for aria had greatly increased many a long morning she whiled away in her society and they plied their needles faster than ever aria never dared to be idle employment was her great refuge from her afflicting thoughts she seldom spoke of her griefs to rachel and when she did she would sometimes say 
what can equal shakespeare's knowledge of human nature every day i realize the truth of his sentiment do you not remember dearest rachel that he says i can teach twenty men what were good to be done than one of the twenty to follow mine own teaching look what a good teacher and good preacher you used to find in me how i used to hold forth upon the best mode of being happy in spite of affliction and see now how badly i follow mine own teaching but if aria had not profited by her own doctrines rachel had she had made up her mind never to repine to extend her sphere of use to find enjoyment in all the little occupations in life and to fit herself to be of service to everybody with whom she was thrown into contact her want of beauty now never disturbed her self no longer entered into her calculations her affectionate disposition made her long to be loved especially by her parents and sister and though she sometimes despaired of winning their affection she became only more fixed on her determination to deserve it one feeling in vain she endeavoured to suppress it was her growing interest in mr allen he visited their home frequently and it was almost impossible to be insensible to the charm of his polished manners his agreeable conversation and his highly cultivated mind who can he come to see mused rachel he does not seem to devote himself to esther and yet it must be she i should be a fool indeed if i flattered myself that my society was of any consequence to him no he certainly cannot come to see me and i must try to think less of him or think of him only as a brother-in-law would i then much as i esteem him desire to see him as a husband of esther why not but would she make him happy Pshaw! if he loves her he can mould her to his will and it must be my task to assist him mr allen had requested miss clinton's permission to present her to an especial friend of his a foreigner the gentleman he informed her was a german and a confirmed invalid travelling in search of health he had visited this country for a short time some fifteen or twenty years ago but was quite a stranger in the city and mr allen thought he would take some great pleasure in the society of miss clinton he was a man of wealth yet seemed to have lived a secluded life and to take little interest in the affairs of the gay world i think him concluded mr allen of a rather desponding turn of mind he appears the victim of a settled melancholy notwithstanding which he has so much interested me during his voyage for we crossed the atlantic together that i have a great desire you should make his acquaintance and exert your powers in enlivening him rachel instantly gave her consent to the introduction and the next evening mr allen presented to her his friend mr ehrenstein rachel found that mr allen's description had been faithful and in spite of mr ehrenstein's seriousness he was very conversable he could not have reached his fortieth year yet he looked prematurely old his hair was almost white and his fine brow was thickly furrowed with lines of thought and grief there was an urbanity a warmth about his demeanour which mingling with his habitual sadness awakened a deep and irresistible interest he spoke with enthusiasm of his native country yet seemed to have an affection for america 
and that affection, he said, was the offspring of old associations. Altogether, Rachel was much gratified by his visit, and cordially expressed her desire to see him frequently. A few days after Mr. Ehrenstein's visit, she said to Aria one afternoon, "'Come, Aria, you must put on your bonnet, for I am determined you shall spend this evening with me. Come, I will take no excuse, so get ready. I hope our interesting German will be here tonight, for I want you to see him.' Aria begged that Rachel would excuse her, as she found, of late, that any exposure to the night air increased her cough. "'But this evening the air is quite balmy,' returned Rachel. "'So you must come. Here is a blanket shawl. Wrap it well around you, and I will ensure you are not catching cold.' Aria was too loath to deprive her friend of the pleasure to refuse any longer, and accompanied her home. They found Brainerd in the parlor with Esther, but Aria kept so closely to Rachel's side that in spite of his evident desire he had no opportunity of addressing a word to her which should reach her ear alone. It was painful for Aria to remain in the room with Esther, whose coldness seemed only to have increased, and equally distressing to be obliged to parry Mr. Brainerd's attempt to converse with her in an undertone. She therefore withdrew Rachel to the back parlor, under the plea that the little dresses they were cutting out for Rachel's charity children could be better managed on an empty table which stood there than any other. They had hardly seated themselves at their work when, to Rachel's great delight, Mr. Allen and his friend were ushered into the front parlor. Rachel hastened into the room, bidding Aria to follow her. She, however, remained behind to finish a few important stitches, then, carefully folding the dresses, entered the parlor. Rachel rose, and, as Arya came forward, presented her to Mr. Ehrenstein. That gentleman also left his seat, and, as the bright light of the chandelier fell full upon Arya's countenance, he started back, as though an apparition stood before him. His hand grasped the table near him for support. Every limb grew stiff, as though petrified. The hue of life fled rapidly from his cheeks and lips. His jaw fell. The dilated eyes that were fixed, as though spellbound upon Arya's face, slowly closed, and he fell back insensible. Mr. Allen sprung forward in time to break his fall, and the whole company gathered round to offer their assistance. Aria had the presence of mind to seek a pitcher of water, which she dashed unhesitatingly into his face. But it was some time before he recovered. When, at length, his eyes unclosed, he stared wildly about him, and the first words he spoke were, "'Where is she? Where is she gone? Let me see her again.' "'Of whom do you speak?' inquired Rachel, in a kind tone, as she leaned over him, wiped the moisture from his forehead. "'Of Edith.' "'My Edith, where is she?' "'He is not quite recovered,' said Rachel. "'We must give him more air.' Everybody moved back at her request, and at that moment Mr. Ehrenstein again caught the sight of Aria. He lifted himself on his elbow, gazed at her intently, and the name Edith again rose to his lips. Aria, from a natural impulse of kindness, bent toward him to inquire if he was better. He stretched out his hand. 
touched her forehead as though to discover whether she was indeed a living being and withdrawing it exclaimed who are you my friend to whom i just introduced you replied rachel miss aria walton 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 murmured the stranger to himself and so like walton i have never heard that name before have i never seen you then not until to-night replied aria mildly but you are ill had you not better approach the window mr ehrenstein took no notice again and again he repeated mein gott mein gott surveying the fair girl between every ejaculation as though she recalled some painful memory which he would have gladly forgotten little by little he regained his composure but the only excuse which he made for his emotion was expressed in the words forgive me i am a dreamer to break the unpleasant pause which ensued rachel ordered tea it was quickly served and mr ehrenstein who had hardly moved his eyes from aria's face was so much restored by a cup of the refreshing beverage that he was strong enough to take a seat beside her and enter into conversation you must think my conduct very strange said he but you are so strongly resemble a dear friend i once had a friend who is long since dead we will not talk of it i have not breathed her name for years it is a pleasure for me to sit beside you aria thanked him and they soon invent such natural enjoyment in each other's society that when aria left the house that night she thought to herself that it was the happiest evening she had passed since the memorable one on which edgar had escorted her home End of chapter thirteen